Hello, welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whited and my guest today is Sarah David, Managing Director of Thrive Consulting Collaborative. You can find her on Twitter at S-A-Z-D-A-V-Y. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Chris. It's good to be here. So, Sarah, you seem to have uh, two businesses on the go at the moment. There's Thrive Consulting Collaborative, which has been running for about uh, 10 years now, I believe. And then there's Love Work More, which is a more... Uh, recent initiative that you've taken. Could you tell me a little bit about those? Sure, I'd love to. Um, so so Thrive, uh, as you say, I set up about 10-ish years ago. Um, and that is, uh, I set it up based on the belief that we all have the time we need to prosper. Okay, There is enough time, everyone. Uh, and so I really enjoy working with teams and organisations and individuals uh, to provide them with tactics and strategies on achieving the things that they want to achieve, which ultimately are, are better financial results, but, but we achieve those through changing culture and, and ways of working. Um, and, so that, and that's my day job. Uh, love work more is what I think they call these days a side hustle uh, which is something that I set up with a a friend of of mine Rich Ferguson Uh, we set it up together he's also a management uh, consultant and and exec coach and we set it up together um, really because we've got this passion about people loving work more genuinely we just come across too many people actually in our day jobs who don't actually love what they do and so we set it up uh, not with a view actually to make any money, but more that in working together and promoting this, we will give more people access to tactics and strategies to find a, a working life that they really love. And you've had an interesting and pretty tough time at times journey to where you are now. Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so I guess in, in working life terms, it starts here in Sheffield in the sense I did my uh, I did my degree here, my law degree. Um, I think I've said to you before, I wanted to be a lawyer uh, since I was 11. I have absolutely no idea why. Uh, growing up in Hampshire at that point, no access to American TV shows, no idea why I wanted to be a lawyer. And I think the thing is, having announced at 11 I wanted to be a lawyer, nobody talked me out of it. Nobody in my family had been to university. Everybody thought this lawyer malarkey was a great idea, so off I set studying away, did my law degree, was really fortunate to land a a training contract at one of the big international law firms in London, Uh, took that, qualified, became a lawyer and uh, and then promptly discovered it really wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, And I moved into legal recruitment because it seemed to be that's what everybody who didn't want to be a lawyer in the the mid-90s, late 90s did. Uh, I think it's probably because we rocked up at the recruitment consultant said, uh, you know, we we wanted a new job or didn't know what we wanted to do. And they said, why don't you try this? So, uh, yeah, you can imagine the phone call to my mother, you know, having wanted to be a a lawyer my whole life, call her up and say, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be this uh, lawyer in this big international law firm anymore. I'm going to be in recruitment. Silence and tumbleweed definitely ensued. But uh, I really enjoyed it and, and and learning about sales. And it was, it was um, I worked really hard, but I had more control. And I think that was the thing about being a lawyer, was just not having any uh, control. So anyway, uh, long story short, did my MBA, moved into uh, professional services management, had a, a number of roles that I really enjoyed 
joined the board of the Law Society, um, Children's Society, which gave me insights into into the charity world, which I hadn't had before. And then um, I was in a role actually doing my second, we were selling, selling the business, and it was a break point. And um, my American husband uh, and I, we have two boys, and uh, we decided to make a big career life change, actually, um, and finished this job in London, and we moved to Colorado, and I ran an autism school there knew nothing about autism never run a not-for-profit so needed to find an organization in Colorado that would trust a Brit who'd never run a, a not-for-profit to to run it and I guess one of the things you know I, Firefly Firefly Autism was the autism school and outreach center that I ran and I think that was one of my insights actually at the time is I didn't I didn't need to know anything about autism actually there were so many experts in the organization who knew about autism what they didn't know was how to run a business how to how to fundraise and the complexity at that time uh, US healthcare regulations and so on it was it was a very very complex business for a very small organization so completely different world from you know working uh, working in professional services and uh, it was a job where it was about meaning, I guess, rather than making making money. And uh, and then uh, my husband died in a car crash only eighteen months after we'd after we'd been there, um, which obviously turned my world upside down in all sorts of ways, and and the boys too. Um, so that ultimately led us to making another international move. I think that was my fourth or fifth <laughs> one I'd made uh, since the age of. 11 I guess and moved back to the UK but moved north this time and uh, and that's when I set up the consulting business actually I think at the time it was bluntly I didn't know what else to do <laughs> it was you know I'd come back and I had to get back into work uh, Jonathan my late husband had been a stay-at-home dad so I'd always been out at work but it was a case of working out what next and I was fortunate enough to land two contracts very quickly and so I would say initially Thrive was as I say, I didn't know what else to do and it was just what it was. And then obviously over the last six years or so, it's, um, which is the time since I've been back, it's become the thing that I really want to do. And and has that acted as kind of anchor along that journey, starting your own business? What do you mean? Okay, let me try to phrase that again. What, what's kept you sane along that okay. journey? Okay. Well, I love the idea that you think I'm saying. I like the assumption in that question. That's terrific. Uh, we don't know each other that well. I think friendships and reading, okay. those are the two Great things answer. that have probably kept me sane, ultimately. Uh, you know, because joking apart, there've definitely been, there've been some very, very difficult times through, through, that, through that period. But uh, the friendships and and love and support that I've had, and then and then I have read uh, just an enormous amount, and that's that's definitely helped my sanity hugely. It was interesting actually because I'd always been a reader, but when Jonathan died, I found I just couldn't I couldn't focus on reading in the same way, and I certainly couldn't read fiction happily ever after type. Mm you know it'll be okay types I just wasn't in that place at that at that point so I read a lot of poetry actually and I found that really instructive and helpful and then and that was at the point perhaps not surprisingly when I got into you know Pema Chodron and and Buddhism and and um and I guess just 
learning and expanding and understanding. I think one of the expressions that really upset me when Jonathan died, people never intend to hurt you. Uh, They mean well, but some things people say along the way can just be quite hurtful. But one of the one of the expressions I really railed against was this, well, everything happens for a reason, which would make me so furious, mainly because of my boys, actually not because of me, because I think, well, what reason could there be for my boys to be to be having this? But I think a phrase that really does work is um, not everything has a reason, but you can give everything meaning. Okay. And that really that really resonated with me. So it was like, there isn't a reason for this, but I can turn this. I can turn this situation into something that has a meaning, that that makes sense, I suppose, or that something positive can come out of it. Maybe we'll come back to your reading later in the show. You said to me before that you prefer working with teams. Why why is that? (laughs) Yeah, I think I said to you, I'm uh, in terms of tennis, I much prefer playing doubles than singles. And uh, I think it's that sharing. Uh, and obviously there's pros and cons to that, and that's obviously why some people definitely prefer singles, because of that. They don't want to share the, the ups or the downs, right? They want to take total responsibility them, themselves. But I love that feeling, you know, going back to my days of playing hockey, you know, that sense of that team and that team win and, and just that share. Do you remember, oh, do you, this happened, that happened. Oh, that was amazing what you did there and, and that sharing, that sharing of things. And maybe it's the other side as well. When there's a loss, there's somebody who genuinely under, understands. And I, I suppose it's interesting because I run Thrive very much on my own. And, and it is fair to say I do miss sometimes, you know, if I've won a piece of business, somebody sharing that who really understands. And equally, if I've made a mistake or something hasn't gone right, some, somebody to talk with. Um, you also do some pro bono work with women. Who's, who's that for? Mm. So uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, we, I've never had a female, I never had a female boss. All my male bosses actually were brilliant. I am really fond of all of them. I think I I was very fortunate. Really fond of all of them. Learned a lot from all of them. All quite quite different people. But also, I found myself really for the vast majority of my career, I was often either the only woman around the table in a in a large group of men, or there were a couple of us. And I saw some. I saw weirdly how my interest and love of sport was helpful in that situation. So the fact that I played golf, the fact that I had a season ticket invariably for the local football club, it's Manchester City at the moment, it was Chelsea down in London. And that helped in those situations. And it used to make me really angry in some ways because I think if I didn't have that, it would be so much harder to fit into this group. And the thing was, I'd never had any coaching. So I'd never had coaching through my career. I'd never had mentoring. So in my head, I was thinking, well, if I didn't have this sport, how would how would this have worked? Well, of course, now I know there's loads of different tactics and strategies. So I suppose at heart, that's where it comes from, is that I was often the only woman. And so the, the program I'm involved with is with the this particular one, is with the Pankhurst Trust. Um, so the Pankhurst Building is where Emmeline Pankhurst and the original suffragettes did their early strategizing for suffrage it's a building opposite the infirmary in Manchester and so the Pankhurst set up a, a, a program which I think's just phenomenal at the moment we're 50 coaches and 50 coaches and it's specifically focused on 
women who've already shown leadership potential and capability but they don't have access to coaching either they don't have the networks or they don't have the money and we're going to change the world by doing things like that right these my current coachee is an amazing woman she runs a social enterprise in Manchester she's really inspirational but she's learning so much from from the coaching relationship that she would she wouldn't have had so I think I feel so passionately about it because there is so much potential in all of us but I think particularly you know women can find it harder as I say just taking my own example not necessarily having that mentoring and coaching yeah certainly something I could have benefited from in my career yeah right yeah sure you also work with a political party can you tell us Mm. more about that yeah so um never been involved in politics uh, historically and I would uh, tell you Chris I was reading something recently that talked about the fact that hundreds of years ago certainly thousands of years ago the politicians of that time were actually our philosophers that politics was philosophy and and it was about that growth and learning and that thinking and you know it makes me feel really quite sad to think how far politics seems to have come from that space or has it discussed you know what are the philosophies and so on but I became actively involved because I felt the world both environmentally and socially was moving in a direction that felt not positive to me and was affecting my mental health because there was that feeling I can't control it I'm not influencing it's all happening to me so I I got involved actively in politics really to support my mental health which might sound insane um perhaps to a lot of people out there thinking, what? Uh, But at a local level, it's a really beautiful thing, actually. I've learned so much from standing in my market town on a Saturday morning with a trestle table, just engaging with, you know, dads walking past with their kids or grandparents or young couples. Why do you vote? What does politics mean for you? Are you a feminist is a question, you know, that, that we are. So I joined the Women's Equality Party, as I say, about three or four years ago, really coming from my own philosophy, which is, and based on research and evidence, which is more equal societies are happier. There are fewer mental health and other issues in more equal societies. So I've really enjoyed knocking on doors. Um, The public asks, you're laughing, but the public, you know, obviously some people don't have time, but people really are great in these, even when they don't agree with you. You know, I've had such good conversations and learned from people even when you're not agreeing um so yes it's it's been really interesting and i'd i'd encourage everyone to 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 vote please vote whoever you vote for just exercise your vote and uh and yeah it's 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 really helped and what do you consider your greatest work-related achievement to date Mm, i found that a really hard question well, I suppose first, I don't like, uh, you say you're saying today, but then there's that feeling like, I don't want it to have been already, you know? You know how people say, oh, my, my best days of my life are at university. I think, oh, no, that's... So, so I think there's, there's the, the, the slightly trite but also very true answer, which is most days are brilliant because most days I've got that fortune to work with people and are not a problem or work with them on finding a solution or or confidence or so on but I suppose when I really thought about it there were there were two that sprung to mind and one probably very odd one was a big restructuring actually that I led and that's that might sound like a weird achievement but the way that we did it and how we work with people and the humanity and actually love that was involved in it 
I know was a really beautiful and unusual thing. So it was closing offices and asking lots of people to leave, but it was, it was, um, yeah, I feel very positive about how we, everybody was treated mm-hmm. in that and how we did it. Would you like to elaborate a bit more? Yeah, so I think, because you'd said to me about, you know, what's your greatest achievement? And then you'd said, well, what have you learned from it? Or, mm. or, and, and I think reflecting on it, it was about courage and values. So this was in 2009. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, we weren't the only organisation going through this process or thinking about it. But my, the, the, the boss, the, the global managing partner, I think he, he was really, he cared about people. So that was the mm-hmm. first thing. He genuinely cared about people and had compassion for them. And we sat and we strategized and we worked out, well, if we were going to have to do this thing, we were going to do it in a way where everybody felt heard and listened to and supported. So quite unusually, we actually met with every single person in the organization. We didn't just meet with the people that were leaving. And, and the purpose of that was really to just, it was a very supportive organisation anyway, and the people who were staying were feeling guilty and sad mm. about seeing their friends leave, but also feeling anxious about their own futures, and was this going to be the first or second or third wave of, of these things? So I think just the way that we set it up was really quite unusual in, you know, setting up a, a whole list of meetings back to back and meeting with everybody but the way that we set it up and how the people who were being asked to leave, that there was somebody at the door to walk with them and not to escort them from the building, but mm. genuinely to put an arm around them and chat and discuss, right, how's this going to work for you? Here are your options. And we really were able to treat every single person. Some people want to get it over and done with straight away, don't they? Some people want to walk away and come back. Mm. And we were able to go through those options. And I think it left everybody f- who was remaining feeling like people are being treated well. So if it happened to me, I know I'd be treated well too. So there was a lot of compassion in the in the room, Chris, a lot. If you could go back 30 years mm. in your career, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah. So obviously, folks, Chris sends you these questions ahead of time, so you get to think about them a little bit. And I've got to admit that this was, this was the one I, I loved it, actually, as a coaching question. Um, uh, and and a thought-provoking question because I feel like the things that I've learned in the last 30 years I wouldn't have felt or heard the same way at 18 Mm. you know even if I told me them it's taken a lot of the experiences that I've had to for them to resonate so I wish at 18 I'd been able to come up to myself and say there's this thing called coaching Get yourself on as soon as possible. Um, you know, I was an Ox- Oxbridge reject at uh, 17 or whatever it was. You know, various, there was a there's a whole hell of a lot of stuff coming at me over the next 30 years, some of which we've, we've touched on. And I think, you know, that introduction to coaching, meditation, mindfulness, stoicism, those things, to have been introduced to them at 18, I think could have helped me massively. Mm. But I think the other thing would have been lovely, would have been just coming up to myself then, giving me a big hug and saying, you're going to be okay. You know, just because of the amount of stuff that was going to come down the line, if I'd have had that hug at 18 to say, you're going to work really hard at being okay, (laughs) but you're going to be okay. 
and you've got all these relationships and friendships that will support some of that but you're gonna be okay that I think that would have helped and and what does your day-to-day self-care regime look like Mm. nowadays yeah it's a good question isn't it I'm not gonna lie it's uh you know what is it cobbler's children and accountants and their taxes and lawyers and their wills you know exec coach and and all of these things I have to work really hard at it Chris I really do you know as an only parent the mental exhaustion of making all the decisions is the thing that I've I've I do really struggle with so physically the self-care is running hill walking uh, pull-ups that's my latest thing I read <laughs> I, re- I was listening to this blog uh, this podcast on um, the minimalist I don't know if you've ever come across it no, uh, so it's this idea that um, and I use it I do use this a lot with the teams and organizations I work with which is um, we can we can get very focused on perfection and the big thing and and the line I find myself using a lot with uh, with clients is okay what's the smallest thing that you can do to advance towards this place you want to be yeah so that classic thing about you know I've I've blocked out a full day for BD at the end of this month I'm going to do you know a whole day of planning and calls and it's going to be marvelous and nothing's going to get in the way of it and you know so you look at them and say when was the last time you had a free day and right so 15 minutes today what can you do about BD that's that's the way so anyway I was listening to I'm getting back to the (laughs) pull-up I was listening to this podcast and uh, and they said about a pull-up being a one of the most physically difficult but helpful things to do because it engages your whole core and I get that you get it anyone who's seen me trying to do a pull-up at our rowing club will understand exactly what you mean right so pull-up bar is now in place in the hall right so it's it's by the coats right so I got that you can imagine my boys just looking at me like mum has really lost the plot this time I'm like so I've got this and what we're all going to do is we're all going to do pull-ups you know when we come in and out the house so I tried to do my first pull-up it's really hard so hard anyway I'm dead chuffed because I've managed to get up to 10 in a row wow before I went away on holiday and now I've gone away on holiday and come back. So now I'm back to five again. Anyway, so that makes that's from a self-care point of view. There's a few things in that. One is I know physically it's really helpful. But then there is that thing about I'm just doing a small thing. Even mm. if I don't go for a run today or a hill walk, I'm going to get a few of those pull-ups yep. in. So T- Tim Ferriss always says when he gets up in the morning, he does five of anything, just an exercise. Yeah, just, just, just five. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Or holding a plank for 30 seconds is another one I use where people just say, set a timer, 30 seconds, do a plank. Um, but I found the, I'm, I'm very big on visual cues for people to help make things happen. And so the point with the pull-up bar is, it is there. Yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> pull-up, you know. <laughs> or, or only feel guilty if I do so. So, so no. So that's the physical side, and I've gone through phases with Pilates and yoga and and various other things. But my, I'd say my core is the the running, 
running again there's lots of grief books grief running books kind of in in the space and running I was not a runner before Jonathan died so it was a response to that he ran 12 marathons I think so he had always been the runner so it's, it's two things that happened when he died that I always imagine him just smiling and shaking his head at me about one is me becoming a runner he'd be like what the you know <laughs> you could have done that when I was alive and the second thing is uh I think because I was looking for ways to have control, I became exceptionally tidy. And he'd always been the tidy one, and I'd been the floor drobe person. And I am not floor drobe person <laughs> now. And again, I can imagine just going, what the, you know, could you not? Could you not have done that when I was like, did it really take me dying, darling, for, you know, this to happen? Yeah. Who is the person that, or the experience which has changed you or inspired you most? It's a pretty obvious answer, I think, this one. Actually, leading up to Jonathan dying, there were mm. a number of other things, actually, but there's no doubt that... Uh, yeah, that it's, it's Jonathan. Jonathan dying, I think, because it both devastated me, transformed me, and the results of it have been inspirational in some in some ways so I think I'm definitely not the person the person I am now is not the person I was before by the biggest stretch I think if you look at this last sort of seven seven years because I met him when I was just uh, 11 uh, living in New Jersey so he'd always been part of my and I fell in love with him when I was 11 and a half or something you know I mean he was just the best so losing losing that soulmate was devastating. I was fortunate, though, in the sense that, you know, I didn't get to see, he died in a car crash. I didn't get to say goodbye. But I was very, I'm very fortunate that there was nothing I had left to say. But I think it's, I think it's one of the things that's transformed and inspired me is that really the work that I'm do that I do with people is we just don't know how much time we've got on our clock. And we don't know what's mm. going to happen. And so for people who've been through what I've been through, but there was a lot of stuff left unsaid, I can't begin to imagine how much harder, you know, that that would have been to, to deal with. So it is about, you know, if you're going to leave the house to just try and make up or close things off, you know. But I think also what was incredible so when Jonathan died, we'd only been in Colorado for 18 months. We had no family within thousands of miles and only the friends that we made in that period. But what was amazing was the amount of love that we were surrounded with, mm. both in our community locally, but also how friends from and um, family from the UK and different parts of the States supported us in a way that was just so beautiful you know they say out of tragedy you see these things and it's rubbish that sometimes it takes a, a tragedy for that to happen but you know the community bought us meals three times a week for three months you know yeah. just put food on the doorstep you know it was so beautiful to see and experience how much love there is out there and how how what a difference that makes you know yeah so, so I think, as I say, I think that's what's inspired me. You know, I've got a completely had to had to work out what to do. Completely different career. Did compl do yet another international move. So I've I've learned just a ludicrous amount. I think in this 
in this time period. Mm. Yeah, I've, I always find it reassuring that at the time when you know people say our politicians are losing the plot, that, that there is that cohort of ordinary people working a, a way to make the yeah. world a better place. And, it, and you're right, it, it's, it, it's often at times of tragedy when they, they actually show up and, and make that difference. Um, so we talked a little bit about your reading poetry. Would you like to tell us more about your reading then, you know, about some of the things that you might recommend to people? Yeah, well, I haven't shown Chris yet. I've, I rocked up here with this enormous bag full of books, <laughs> so I think we should take some photos. So I'm really, really passionate about... I'm really, really passionate about lear learning, and reading is a huge, huge part of that. Yeah. So um, so if you go on my website, it's thrive.co.com. Uh, there's a reading room on there, so I do quite a few book reviews and articles and, and, and pieces. I think um, you asked me to narrow it down, so I shall reluctantly do so. Um, well, don't, don't make it too narrow. Don't make it too narrow. Okay. So, thanks. Uh-oh. Um, so, um, so, I think the first thing I'd say is, even if you feel like you're not, quotes, a reader, and you want to lead, and you want to inspire, and, and so on, it's about working out, so what's my form of learning? So, if it's podcasts, is it articles? So Medium um, is a great source of lots and lots of different articles mm -hmm. and then TED Talks or videos. But if, if you're saying, well, I'm not going to read books, then then work out what your other thing is going to be for yourself, self-learning and, and self-growth. That I think that would be the first thing I'd say. Um, so on the podcast side, I'd really recommend one called Hurry Slowly by Jocelyn Gly, G-L-E-I. She's got a lovely, lovely, beautiful voice, and hurry slowly. Uh, and I think, I think the the common theme with pretty much every single exec coaching client or team or organisation I work with is this thing about time and energy management. And hurry slowly is a great podcast for this, for the, yeah, to support that idea around time and energy mm. uh, management. I've mentioned the minimalists; I find them quite annoying actually, but. They're, they're quite interesting. It's very, it's, yeah, it's a bit Tim Ferrissy, so it's a little bit extreme for me, like that guy. Anyway, I've learned a lot from him, but can you imagine? Can you imagine living with him? Chris is laughing. If you don't know Tim Ferriss, this won't mean anything to you, but just Google him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd really recommend Hurry Slowly as a, as a sort of learning podcast. And then um, How to Fail by Elizabeth Day. Uh, which is she interviews she interviews people on their failures, um, and and that's that's really interesting. And um, how to own the room by Viv Groxup. That's those are interesting podcasts. But yeah, so those podcasts, books. There's a book I don't know if you've come across it, Chris, by Susan David called she's no relation called Emotional Agility. Uh, no, I haven't come across that. Oh. No, I have. Hang on, so he has. Uh, this is going to yes, be interested, folks. No, I've read this. I've read that book, <laughs> and I've actually given a copy to my nephew. Right. So yes, I but, do know it. Okay. So a while so, ago now. So I would, I would strongly recommend that book to Emotional anybody. Emotional agility. Emotional agility by Susan David by anyone who is an aspiring leader and particularly who wants to be a compassionate leader. Because the tactics and techniques she talks about in there are so 
useful and valuable and I can point to a number of of um, people that I've worked with that those tactics and techniques that she talks about have been really transformational. Uh, so to just give you one insight, for example, you know how sometimes we find it really hard to let go of things? You know, we get really, really hung up on things and fixated and very clear in our minds how we're right and somebody else is very, very wrong. And one of the expressions she talks about is if she so she talks so she talks about how you can let it go and gives you lots of tactics and ideas from that. But she ends it by saying, and if you can't get it, if you can't let it go, hold it lightly. And I think this is really beautiful because sometimes we genuinely can't let go for various reasons. But that taking that tension away and holding it a bit more lightly is obviously going to be a way where we're going to be more likely at some point to let it go. You know, some people, we can't go from holding on the rope really tight to dropping it. But we can go from holding on really tight to holding a little bit less tight, a little less tight. And it slowly ebbs away. So I'd really recommend, mm. I'd really strongly recommend that. She does have a TED Talk as well. So you can look that up. And there, if you go online, there's a few PDFs as well that explain uh, explain it. But I'd strongly recommend that. And then the other one I do strongly recommend, but the caveat here is, so th- these are both books by women. And I think they probably should have been more than one book. So I think... A cannier person, I'm not going to be pejorative in any other way, would have turned these two books into a number of books. So we all know the authors where there are a lot of books and it kind of feels like the same idea or slightly larger or shorter versions of it. I can think of one too. Right? And I think these two women probably should have done that. So the second book I highly, highly recommend is called How to Have a Good Day by Caroline Webb. Mm -hmm. It is an outstanding book outstanding but the problem is that every single page is full of stuff so I'm a very fast reader and it took me months to read through this book now every single page I read had value and was was brilliant but the problem was from an energy point of view just reading a single page took a huge amount of energy Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of thinking in it so she's a McKinsey consultant uh, by background but I honestly think she could have had four or five books out of this one book. So I highly recommend it, but but with that caveat, which is every page is is full of really good stuff. So if you're listening, Caroline Webb, then uh, Sarah can give you a few pointers about how <laughs> yes, to... commercially. <laughs> improve. I know. It, but the editor, publisher, anyway, whatever. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, book. And then um, Stoicism. Okay. Stoicism, Marcus Aurelius. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the meditations. Um, so when Jonathan died, I completely lost my uh, faith. I've been a practicing Catholic my whole life. We've both been, I think, what in English terms is called devout. Um, as in we went to church every Sunday and were heavily involved in our church in, in various ways as were the boys. And uh, so stoicism has been, a, I think, probably a psychoanalyst or somebody would say it's sort of replaced that for me. And I wish I'd come across stoicism. I wish I'd come across that when I was 18 because it's been so helpful. This sense of not trying to be happy. This sense of okay being okay. And are you are you like me, by the way, with books? That when you find a nice book, you buy a few copies of it and give, give, it, give it away. To yeah, yeah. Give it away and recommend it. I feel like I ought to have shares in a, in a few books for sure. Yeah. <laughs> What's your most recommended? See, my most recommended book is a book called Working Identity 
by a woman called Herminia Ibarra. Really trips off the tongue, that. Um, and it's um, case studies of people aged sort of 35 to 55 who make career changes and shifts. Okay. Um, oh, you're putting me on the spot I am. now. So, and I um, didn't even send him that question ahead of time. People. The, the Leadership Mystique by Cat's Degrees. Okay. All right. I haven't read that, so I will put that on my list. Okay, how about how about the poetry side of things? We've talked yeah. about management books, but I'm intrigued by the poetry that you read. Yeah, so um, Rumi. Mm. So that sort of came into into things again around this something short that prompts or provokes a thought in my mind that gives me a something to meditate on or think about. I don't mean meditate necessarily in a formal term at all, mm. but just a thought. Um, something of comfort so that's been that's again been a recent thing and then I'm fortunate enough I have a dear friend uh, Jenny Emery she's now a published poet so it's been really interesting reading some of her works Um, but yeah I go I go in and out of it anthologies I really enjoy anthologies right Uh, well maybe uh, can I recommend listening to my very first podcast which was uh, with Oriel Majumda. Uh, she's Indeed. at Oriel on Instagram. And if you uh, do you follow her? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. She posts uh, poetry on a regular yeah. basis and, yeah. and it's great. Yeah. And yeah. she writes her own as well. I, I also find interestingly that some of the fiction authors that I most enjoy are actually also poets. And you pick up the lyricism, I think, of the way that they use words. So, like Anne Michael's book, Fugitive Pieces which is a very old favourite fiction book of mine. She um, wrote poetry. So I always find that interesting too. Mm. Great. Okay, do you, do you have something you'd still like to achieve in or outside of work? Well, I'm not done yet. <laughs> uh, you run a marathon yet in your... In no, your and you know, no interest. Okay. So running, so it's, it's really, it's a really, thank you for, for raising that. So my running... So I'm very achievement focused on so many things. And so running, I just do for me. And I really enjoy it. And sometimes I'll have a slow run and sometimes I have a quicker run. But actually, I don't time them. I just run. And if I started to train, if I made it a thing I had to do, then I think some of the joy would go out of it for me because it would Mm. come like lots of these other things that I'm doing because. So no, nothing nothing like that. I would like to get um, so... Jonathan bought he and I a set of golf clubs just before we were married. Neither of us had played golf. I've been a hockey player, uh, which you can certainly tell in my drive. And uh, he had this excellent, very he was a very smart man, idea that, you know, there's, there's no way that going into marriage, him going off to play golf on his own would be acceptable. So he bought us both a set of golf clubs. And so for the first, before we had the boys, all our holidays were golf holidays. So we'd travel around the world playing golf everywhere and um and so I got to be quite a decent golfer but then when he died I didn't really play again I haven't really played so I would like to get so in that vein I would like to to get back to golf again I think I would enjoy doing that and and maybe going for you know getting a handicap down or something like that but maybe just get getting out I think in in work I am really fortunate I do love what I do so I would want to to keep uh, doing that. I have recently become an associate at the Muller Institute, which is one of the 
it's at Churchill College in mm-hmm. University of Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've become an associate in their exec education institutes. They have the Judge Institute, which is their business school, and then yeah. they have the exec education. And so I think, so I've got an idea that I might be interested in perhaps doing that in some other parts of the world, seeing that as a way to maybe spend a bit more time either in the States again or, or perhaps in Europe. So that's a, it's a, it's a vague notion uh, at the moment. But, um, but no, it's, it's nice to be able to look forward. It's taken, it's really only in the last 12 months-ish, I suppose, 24 months maybe, that I've really been in a position of enjoying looking forward or thinking about the future. Because obviously the, my future looks so different to what I thought it would be and mm. so it's been more about just doing the day-to-day and and making sure that that was okay but not really making plans in in the same way or aspiring so it feels nice to be in that space again to be thinking about that thanks sarah um i feel like um your author caroline webb that we could actually turn this podcast into a series of podcasts um but for now <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of the Compassionate Leadership Interview. You can order Compassionate Leadership, the book, at www.compassionate-leadership.co.uk or on Amazon. This show was recorded at Rebel Base Media in Sheffield and the music was brought to you by 96 Bike on CPU Records. Thank you.